0: Now, as we take up chapter 13, it really follows on what we've been looking at. Now, chapter 12 was a chapter with all kinds of levels of intensity, as we saw the murder of James by Herod, and we, as we saw the increased activity against Christians that he was, he was doing, and then the arresting and imprisonment of Peter, and we see that strong push And then we stood back and saw the mystery that we don't have clear answers for. And we simply trust God's purposes. Why would God deliver uh, Peter from prison but allow James to be killed? And the answer is known to him and we trust in His way, and we trust in His wisdom. We know that all those who do wrong will ultimately answer to Him, if not in the limited days of this life, indeed at the final judgment. Herod himself, we saw, did not merely wait until the the final judgment, but God poured out some judgment on him right in his life. In the midst of his pomp, in the midst of his pride, he stood there and he declared his message to those people who were somewhat estranged with him. And they gathered in their way and they started praising him. Oh, the voice of a God and not a man. And God threw him down in that moment. And worms ate him from the inside out and he died. There was a lot of intensity and a a lot of um, humble presentation of the things in that chapter. As we move on to chapter 13, at least the beginning section of it, we're going to see a few particularly practical things. That I hope will be helpful as we, we try to wrestle with. Uh, how, who is our God? The scriptures reveal that. How would He have us live? The scriptures would reveal that for us. How do we do ministry? How do we do church? The scriptures answer it for us. That's what I do want us to get in all of it. When it comes down to what we are to believe, what we are to do, it's not a committee, it's not a vote. It's not a democracy. It is an absolute theocracy. God is king. And as, as confused as certain peoples get on this earth. Christ is the head of the church. The scriptures are clear about that. He is its head. His, its absolute authority. And the church is his body. He says I will build My church. He is not only its head. And master. He is its king. And owner. We are his. And so in all things. It is what would you have us do. What are we to believe. How are we to live in this world. How are we to worship you in this world. We ask him those questions. Because he is God. Now. Note this. He communicates to us so wonderfully and clearly through his word. And so we receive that instruction. And what I want to note today, just a few things. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 5, we will see the church as the sender. And part of this is as we try to figure out how we do things in a way that's honoring to God. Now, many of you will have probably come from or been in somewhere, someplace, someday, Some church that sent out missionaries. Is it right? And all kinds of churches practice this in different ways. But what we're going to see today is the church is the one that sent them out. This is considered by all as we look back on it. And maybe your Bibles even begin to title it pretty soon here. The first missionary journey. Now, I'm going to say something that may briefly make you uncomfortable, and that is incredibly intentional. The Bible never uses the term or word missionary. Search it. From beginning to end, you will not find it. And I think there's a healthy thing in not finding it. Because we tend to think those people who are sent out like Paul and Barnabas will be, to go and serve the Lord in another place. They are missionaries, uniquely and distinctly. And we're not. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, that is not the case. The scriptures don't use that term because the reality is this, wherever God places us, we are to be salt and light. Wherever He places us, we are to be those who proclaim His excellencies. Indeed, there is not a believer who is not also, in effect, a missionary. Now, your mission field may be Marshall, or Hallsville, or Kilgore, or Gilmer. Wherever it may be, you, you, that may be your mission field but it won't ever be even exclusively there because at times you move from your city to visit another city do we stop being who we are in Christ when we visit Dallas this is a me day yeah I appreciate the laughter because there is there is no day if it was just me We've already considered, the scriptures remind us, in Him Him, we live and move and have our being. Apart from Him, we would not have breath, we would not have life. So if any one of us was to ever really go so far as to say, I want a day that's just all me, only me, about and for me, that would be a dead day. Because you can't sustain your breath. (laughs) Every faculty, every ability, who has given you eyes that see, ears that hear, tongues that speak, on and on, brains that can discern and make decisions. Who has done this? It is God. And so we've, we want, I want to un, us to get this even beyond that as we take this up in the first missionary journeys. What Paul and Barnabas are now preparing to go do. We refer to it as their missionary journeys, right? And why do we call it journeys? Because they go from where they're at. They'll go to the island of Cyprus. And then they'll go on to the next city. And on to the next city. Sometimes they stay six months. Sometimes they stay a year and a half. Sometimes they stay a week. All different circumstances. And then... When they've made their journey, they come back to their home church, Antioch, that sent them out. Now listen, in our modern day, this is how we often think of it. A missionary is someone that we send to China. And he goes there. And he lives there. And he dies there. You know, you shouldn't be a missionary unless you are committed... To life long relocation. To live and breathe and die in that place. You know and that's challenging and inspirational. And a lot of people say, yes I will do that. And nothing wrong with that. If that's what God has called you to do. Indeed uh, uh, we know uh, men such as William Carey did go to India. And his wife died there. And then he eventually died there. And There's nothing wrong with that. But what I want us to make sure is we be careful as I I had to take many missions classes and many some of you as well. What we're often taught in missions, missions classes are what men have done. And what men recommend doing. But the scriptures, did Paul and Barnabas go to a single country? A single city? A single town? Did they stay in any of those places for the duration of their days and die in that place? They did not. So we ought to be careful. Uh, We'll send you as a missionary, but are you ready to go there forever? Well, was that a requirement here? They didn't even sign up on necessarily how many months or how many years it would be. That would kind of unfold as as God hands of providence. But the reality is simply this: uh, someone says, uh, "You know, God, God has put it in my heart to, uh, and I have a burden to go and be in a missionary in this country, among these people in this country." Okay, what are you doing right now? Where you're at? Well, no, I'm not. when I go, then I'm going to start to be a missionary. Is that right? You're going to get bolder in the gospel, more capable of communicating when you go to another place. That's not how it works. And more than that, this is where I want to go. This is where God has given me a burden. This is where I long to be. What if you cannot get the visa? Well, I guess... Um, God had put it in my heart, but he did not open the door. So I guess I'm not going. Well, now you've got God giving the desire, but not giving the way. Maybe it was your desire to go to that place. And why is it you want to go to that place and those people in that city and them alone? You know, Paul wanted to go to to one place and he was forbidden by the spirit to go to that place. And then ends up going to Macedonia where he hadn't intended to go. Why can't it be that it is about the service of God? Is it, about, it is about the gospel of the kingdom. It is about proclaiming the truth. And it's not about this particular place or this particular people. It's about this particular God. And this particular gospel in all places. Wherever we are, wherever God takes us. That's what I want us to begin to see. First of all. As, as we see the church as senders, I want to draw your attention to this. That Paul and Barnabas were serving in the local church. This is the first thing that we see. They were serving in the church at Antioch. Uh, the scriptures re- remind us uh, of the ministry that they had while they were there. In Acts chapter 11, remember the report says in verse 22, the report came to the church in Jerusalem. That uh, some people had believed and turned to the Lord in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So he goes there. Verse 23 tells us when he was there. He was encouraged a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25. It says so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church. And taught a great many people. One of the things that I do want to emphasize here is. What were Paul and Barnabas doing? In the church at Antioch. They they came to that place. And they were sharing the gospel. And the Lord was adding people to their number. And then they were teaching those people. It's often a very uncomfortable thing. When you'll meet a missionary candidate somewhere supposedly. What are you going to do when you go overseas? Uh, I'm going to. Plant a church and be a preacher. Excellent. Have you ever planted a church before? No. Are you a pastor? No, no, no. Okay, so you're not a, you've never planted a church or participated in it. You're not presently a pastor. The church where you right now are a member, they don't recognize you as a pastor. But somehow, when you find yourself in another country, now supposedly you're worthy to be a pastor. Is the standard for who serves in certain capacities different by country? To be an elder or bishop, as the scripture lays that out, uh, above reproach, husband of one wife, and all of the wonderful details that are required of men who would be in leadership service, uh, are any of those distinctive to geography, they're not. And so why would we pretend like they are? Why would we intend to say, look, we wanna take uh, uh, this young man with no experience and simply send him to be a pastor? This is unnerving. Remember, who did they send? Barnabas. He had established himself as a godly man in the early church. He had become marked out among them. Uh, Then he's the one that the church noted as the one to send to Antioch. Because they were capable of teaching in that place. He goes and gets Saul who was well trained and well equipped and brings him back. And they are the early foundational primary teachers in that local church. When God is is preparing now to send Barnabas and Saul out, what they are going to do when they go is the very same thing that they do when they're here. You don't become more godly when, when you get on an airplane, when you get a stamp in your passport. You don't become more godly when somebody attaches a title to you, be it pastor, elder, evangelist, missionary. You are who you are before anybody attaches in their mind those kinds of names to you. And some people like to think this. I struggle here and I have these weaknesses and I have these challenges and all, but... I'm pretty sure, when I go there, they won't be there. I've, 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 you know, sometimes in 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 counseling, even with families, it's like, oh, if we just move, if we just move from this house to another house, you know, then then we can kind of leave behind everything and, and and start fresh. You ever heard that? You ever thought that? Well. Whatever your problems were, they weren't probably the walls or the doors. The biggest problems that you had there came from within, as does all sin. And so what you find is this. Whatever problems you have here, when you move over to here, what happens? You got the same problems. Because you're the problem, in a sense. The problems come from our own sin and our own struggles and simply a change of location does not fix things. And many can now recognize there can be a period of adventure and excitement where you're distracted with the doings and the the relocation and the setting up where it's like, this is really working. But eventually, reality sets in and things go back. And you have the same struggles and the same challenges, because really, when we're looking to grow, when we're looking to change, we don't look to locations. We look to God. We look to grace. We don't think that it is moving from here to here. It is by God moving our hearts from sinful and selfish desires to things of sacrifice and things that are pleasing in his sight. And so, well before, that's what they were doing, was serving in the church. In Acts chapter 13, it says, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then it names them, Barnabas first and Saul last. It, it, and, it, and it gives us uh, all of these elements that these, these men are involved with from beginning to end in serving the Lord. Now I also want to draw your attention to this. Uh, so this is what they did. The scriptures even will remind us. That uh, when they came back. Acts chapter 15. Uh, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. With many others also. So before they left. What were they doing? Teaching and preaching the Lord's word. When they left. What were they doing? Teaching and preaching the Lord's word. When they returned. What were they doing? Teaching and preaching the Lord's word. I know this seems like you're saying the same thing over and over again. Yes, I am, and that's intentional. We ought to use the gifts that God has given us right here, right now, and those are the same things we do wherever we're at. Now, briefly let us look at these these individuals, and I, I do wanna note this as well, remember, they heard that there were believers in this place and they sent down Barnabas because they did not have any equipped and trained up leaders. Barnabas gets there and realizes the task is more than he himself alone can handle. He goes and gets Saul and brings him too. these men are going about their business. They're there in ministry for a year. It says the scripture says, and in the process of this year that they are there as the leaders in that church, They train up other men to come alongside of them and serve with them. They, in a sense, made themselves unnecessary. Someone might say they worked themselves out of a job. But not exactly because the ministry that they were called to was needed in other places. So they will continue to do the same job just in different places. And so in this church it says this in chapter uh, 13 verse 1. There were in Antioch prophets and teachers. Combines those things. Doesn't necessarily distinguish that some among them are prophets and some among them are teachers. These are the prophets and teachers that were exercising leadership there in the church at Antioch. And it begins with Barnabas and ends with Saul. Is it in an order of hierarchy? No, because there is no hierarchy in church leadership. Is it in an an order of chronology? No, because it would have been Barnabas, Saul, and then the others. It's simply randomly listed. And what's interesting is we can just pick up a few tidbits about this. Um, None of their qualifications Come anything from what the world necessarily looks at. All right. From a worldly perspective. Maybe you might think Barnabas is a good candidate. Because the scriptures do remind us that he is from Acts chapter 4. He was a Levite from Cyprus. So people might think Ah, Levite. Yeah he could go into the priesthood. That would be acceptable. And we know Saul also is a Jew born of Tarsus. And he was a Pharisee. Right? But what about these other men? What do we know about them? And this answer is not a whole lot. Uh, It says Simeon there who was called. Literally let me translate the rest of that. Because it simply translates it. It it transliterates it. It says Simeon who was called the black. This is understood to be a, a clear reference to his complexion. Did your complexion qualify you or disqualify you? Had nothing to do with that at all. Indeed, beyond that, the very next one is Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is also a region of of North Africa. Wait a second. Barnabas isn't originally from Antioch. Saul isn't originally from Antioch. Um, Simon and Lucius aren't native to that area. Shouldn't they be picking people native to that area? No! They should be putting people who are biblically qualified. It does not matter otherwise. Well, um, it it doesn't seem... And then, of course, it it also mentions uh, Mannion. Uh, uh, who's a fellow who was likely raised in Rome because he was a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch? Okay, so you've got different situations. You've got one who seems to come from royal background, others who might come from humble backgrounds. You've got different, two of Jewish background at least, a, a couple from northern Africa. See, what you find interesting is here, here is there's not a Careful, let's balance out the demographics. Let's have one leader that represents the the, the basic demographic. No, it's not that. All of that is completely thrown out because that has no place in the kingdom of God, does it? Before God, there is neither uh, uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor Scythian, barbarian, barbarian. we are all one in Christ. And the qualifications that are set forth in the scripture are absolutely unchanging. And so you put in place qualified men, not otherwise. One of the things that uh, uh, someone had said uh Mentioned a number of years ago in, in, the, in the church in Mauritius. Mauritius is a country with a very demographic. People of African background. People of Indian background. People of Chinese background. People of white French background. And uh, in the local church there. As, as, as God brought the church together. And, and built up the church. Came to a place in the history of the church. Where it's having two elders. Functioning in that particular local church. Both of them. Of Chinese origin. To which some human steps forward and says. Shouldn't we also have. An elder to represent the Indian community among us and shouldn't we also have an elder to represent the Creole African community among us. So, uh, what represents among us has nothing to do with cultural background. It has nothing to do with facial complexion. It has nothing to do with it. Where is our citizenship? It is in heaven. Where is the city that we're longing for? Yeah, It is is the city that God has established for us. It It is none of these other things. And these things have to be done. We want to be faithful. And true. And earnest. And and, uh, what is the the history of these men? What did they contribute? What was their influence? What did they write? No idea. But God knows. God knows their ministry. He knows their service. He knows their influence. We don't have to worry about those things. So first of all, we see they were serving in the local church church also wanted to draw your attention to uh the simple thing that as they're serving the scripture says this in verse two after mentioning their names it says while they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and saul Now, uh, the word there, worshiping, the King James says there says ministering to the Lord. This is, and again, it's likely in this context, the church would gather together for worship and prayer. The leadership would also at times themselves gather together for worship and prayer. It seems in the flow of thought best to me that it's ta- the initial thing is talking about these men were gathered together in worship. They were serving God in, in prayer, in singing his praises, in sharing with one another. And it says in fasting. Now, I'm just going to share a few words and a few thoughts because I don't want to unpack it too much. But it's not uncommon for us to have not fasted. And we want to think about why were they fasting. I want you to note this. This is not fasting necessarily that's being done in an Old Testament context. This is the New Testament church where fasting is being done. Well, that's because fasting was a Jewish practice. And so they're just following that. Not necessarily because we've already noted that these leaders themselves are not all Jewish in their origin. Nor is this something that's happening in the synagogue. So they were fasting, worshiping and fasting. And there seems to be this sense, don't miss this, it introduced them as prophets and teachers. Okay, so um, and among the prophets and teachers, among them is Paul and Barnabas, which the scriptures make known to us in Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas are are not merely prophets and teachers, they're not merely local pastors and leaders, not merely missionaries, that they were apostles. Okay, so they would so so they've come together. It is very likely that in the context of this, the spirit has moved among these prophets and teachers that they understand that that there is is something particular that God is purposing to do among them. And they come together and they're in prayer and they're in fasting. They're seeking to know what is the will of God. Let me just give you a few things about fasting. Fasting traditionally at that time, the way fasting was done for Jews is it was the abstaining from food. Food. They would not eat any food for a prescribed amount of time. It could also include no food and water for a prescribed amount of time. It was a fixed amount of time and it was the denial of food. Now, sometimes I talk to people today who fast other things. And I won't discourage that. Any form of self-denial for a season for the Lord can be good. And so people will say I'm I'm fasting of iPad. I'm fasting of television. You know, or or I'm fasting of chocolate. Right? Or a a a, a, a limited thing, you know, or, or or the smart person will fast for something that he doesn't like. You know, I'm fasting broccoli or whatever it may be because uh all of that Necessarily simply to deny yourself something is not the same thing as fasting. Fasting had an intention beyond mere self-denial in the scriptures. Let me just show you a few verses that help make it clear. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, it said this: then Jehoshaphat was afraid. All right, so there was a, a, a practical trial. They were under attack. A practical trial, a practical need, uh, even a potential crisis. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. So again, it's not just fasting. It is often fasting for a particular purpose or issue or matter. And it involves Fasting, denying of something, in order that we would devote ourselves to the seeking of the Lord. So it's not just, well, I'm not eating. Well, why are you doing that? There are people who do that now. that's, that's a form of losing weight. Or it's a form of, of, of guys trying to get a little bit more ripped or more cut because they can reduce body fast by, body fat by intermittent fasting. So the motives, I'm fasting. Not what the scripture means here, if it's for you. If it's for your appearance. It is to seek the Lord. In Ezra chapter 8 verse 21, it says this. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava. That we might humble ourselves before God. To seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children and our good. So now we're adding to our our understanding of a fast. It it is a a denying of something that we might devote ourselves to the seeking of God. And it is also a humbling of ourselves. It It is to a degree the recognition that there is something more important than food. Maybe I might bring up at this point the words of Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days. And was tempted to make bread. Out of stone. What was his response to Satan? Man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Right? And the idea is this. uh, I need God's guidance. I need God's protection. I need God's word. More than I need food. I need God's wisdom. I need God's help. I need God's strength. More than I need the things of this world. It is in a sense. Not only a devotion to seek his face. It's a declaration of dependence. Our need for him. In Isaiah chapter 58. God says this to the children of Israel uh you know uh, uh, through isaiah he says that they're saying why have we fasted and you see it not we have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it so that's what they're saying we're 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 fasting and we're not getting what we ask for god see are they fasting to seek god and to humble themselves before him or are they fasting so that because they think by it they can compel God to give it to them. This happens and, and it should not happen. This is, was, was in the minds of you. And I'm going to come back to this verse in a second. Some people will say this. And I've heard these crazy things that are, that are unhealthy. Someone will say, you know, I've been praying for this. And God just isn't answering my prayer. He's just not giving it to me. Well, have you prayed with fasting? Because if you fast, then God will have to give it to you. Whoa. Is that how it works? Can you twist the arm of God? I know you don't want to do this, but I'm going to fast. So you're powerless. You got to get. That's not how it works. The children of Israel thought they could play that game. We want this. We're going to go through the religious action, put on the show. We're going to fast. You got to give it to us. And God answers them in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3 Behold, in the day of your fast, You seek your own pleasure. You're not seeking me. You're not seeking my wisdom. You're not seeking my will. This is all about you. You're only fasting so you can get what you want. It's not that you're fasting so that you can draw near to me and find out what I want. It says, and oppress all your workers. In other words... You think that you can live a selfish and sinful life throwing a little bit of fasting and God's going to give you what you want on the other side and somehow not take note of all the other things and you're just trying to balance out the fact that you always live for yourself with a little bit of religious duty. Does that fool God? We'll fool ourselves faster than we'll fool God. Because we won't ever fool God. It goes on to say. Behold you fast only to quarrel and to fight. And to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day. Will not make your voice heard on high. Fasting is not a gimmick. To get it. It isn't. Is such the fast I choose? Is such the fast I choose? Listen. A day for a person. To humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed. And to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast a day acceptable to the Lord. It is not the fast that I choose. Loose the bonds of of wickedness. Undo the strap and yoke. Let the oppressed go free. uh, Share your bread with those who are hungry. um, The uh, homeless and the poor. Let them into your house. When you see the naked cover him. And hide not yourself from your own flesh. In other words. Understand this. Your walk before God. Does not come down to this moment of fasting. It is your whole life. You need to be living your whole life. By putting off sin. By giving to others. By considering the need. And then also. Go ahead and fast. In terms of devotion. Jesus reminds also of these words. In in, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 16 and following. It says when you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Their pattern was what? Oh, I'm fasting. So I'm going to put on my fasting clothes. You know, I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to comb my hair. Not going to, you know, and I'm going to look all ragged so that somebody's going to say, hey, brother, what's going on? I'm fasting. (laughs) Yeah. I take note, I spiritual. Is that right? That Jesus says this is what they were doing. They, they would, it even that they would disfigure. I love the way that it's put there in, in 16. For they disfigure their faces that they may be seen by others. You know, so they're even. What's wrong? I'm just really hungry because I'm fasting. That's why I'm making that face. Come on. What are you doing? You're drawing attention to yourself. And the fast was what? A humble act of dependence on God to seek his face. That, that in, in the hopes that he might hear and, and recognize your desperation, your need, your sincerity, your humility. And it says there, now when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. They don't even need to know. You don't need to wear your I'm fasting today t-shirt. You don't need that. Uh, why? Because your father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. Also note this. Sometimes it's good to fast. I like this. Not just for ourselves. A lot of these fasts, were, they were fasting not for even their personal gain, but for guidance for a group. Protection for a group. In this case in, in Esther. They were fasting for Esther herself. That she would get a hearing with the king. It's, Esther says in chapter 4 verse 16. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf. Well, what are we going to get out of it? Why are you even asking that question? There's something wrong with us. When we're even asking that question. What do I get out of it? Now Realistically. They were going to get something out of it in this particular occasion, because as God heard uh, uh, and answered their prayers in fasting, opened the door that she was received. She got to talk to the king, and the king then decreed that the Jews could defend themselves, and everything turned around. But I like to. I also like what happens here in, in Esther four sixteen because it says this, and do not eat and drink for three days or nights. I and my young women. Will fast also as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law. And if I perish. I perish. Which means what? She's not thinking. God has to do. Because we fasted. Her confidence is. And this is what, what ought to happen in fasting. God is going to do what is Right. And God is going to do what is good. And he's heard my need. He's heard my cry. He knows my desperation. He knows my dependence. And I will go forward and trust in him. And if I don't get what I don't want. I mean if I don't get what I want. Then I don't get it. And if I die. I die. It's okay. I'm not going to die and get up there. And, we fasted and you failed. No. That's not how it works. It does not compel him. And remember, the scriptures remind us in Luke 18 of a Pharisee who was standing in the temple. And it says, standing by himself, he prayed this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He goes on in verse, I fast twice a week. See, what begins to happen is people had incorporated fasting into their just routine. And then those who were even more devout and more religious, they doubled up the routine. Right? I fast twice a week. But are they supposed to fast twice a week? Are they even required to fast once a week? There were seasons and occasions for fasting where they were to afflict themselves. There would be extraordinary times where they would be called and a a fast would be pronounced. But it didn't become just a rote routine thing that's just done as part of the ordinary practice. It was Something of deeper significance. Um, the, 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 also, in the sense of it, when you when you look at it, remember they would fast in order that they could devote themselves to prayer. In those days, when you had to prepare food, all right, how many microwaves did they have in that day? How many ovens? so how many gas ranges propane tanks you know even camping cooking equipment they didn't have any of that stuff so the 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 nature of life then a lot of effort went in to the preparation of food food was cooked over fire fire itself was ignited And wood was required. So part of uh, uh, cooking and eating, you'd have to go and you'd have to collect the food. You'd have to collect those things from the market or the field. You'd have to collect the wood and bring that in. You have to prepare it from scratch. You don't get some things pre-made in a box. Generally speaking, you didn't even get flour. Flour. You would get the grain itself, and you'd have to roll it out. It was was exceedingly intensive. A lot of time was required to be dedicated to a single meal. Not only the preparation, then also the cooking time, the serving time, the eating time, then the cleanup time after that, so that some uh, dear individuals would have thought, In that historical context, my life is nothing but the preparation of food. I mean, I just get up and I start gathering the things. By the time I finish up the whole breakfast cleanup, it's time to start things. moving for lunch. And by the time I finish that, it starts moving to dinner. By the time I finish cleaning up with dinner, I'm done to bed just to wake up the next day and start again. But note this, you put aside that collection of the wood, you put aside that preparation, you put aside the cleaning, you put aside the food entirely. How much time does that free up? And note this, it frees up that time to seek the Lord, to seek the face of the Lord, to pray. So I want to just put this out there. There are individuals who have a tendency to say today, I'm going to fast over this issue. Which is to deny themselves some food. But if the time that would normally be dedicated. To preparing and ingesting food. Is not used to seek the Lord in prayer. Then are you really fasting? If it's not used to humble yourself and seek the Lord. Are you really doing it? Or do you think a little self-denial is going to somehow sway him? God help us to see things more clearly. So there was a sense in which fasting carried these ideas. There was a denial of self which is healthy. There was there is a a, a desperation that is made known. We need your protection. We need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your provision. There's a there, there's a crisis many times that that played into it. There is a dependence, a humbling. I cannot do this on my own we cannot do this we need you oh god please move on behalf of your people it was an expression of devotion and a dedication of intensity energy and time again i remind you does it force god to do something it does not force god david when his wife bathsheba gave birth to their firstborn child was intensely committed in fasting and prayer before the Lord. And it tells us this in 2 Samuel uh, 23 and following, as they come to him after the child had died and said, why are you no longer fasting? Why are you fine now? He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, and the child will live. So he did not feel like his fasting would compel God. But he did know this. Who knows? God may hear my cry. God may hear my plea. He may move mightily on behalf. He could restore this child. And so I'll just cry out to him, and I'll give my whole heart in humble desperation and dependence upon him. And then when God said no, what did he say? Exactly. He said, it's fine. He he did not respond by saying, I wasted some good meals, you know, and God didn't even give me what I wanted. No, he said, okay, God made known what was his purpose. And I'm going to be good with God's purpose. I'm going to deal with God's purpose and way. All right. Now, (laughs) back into... Uh, just a few, the rest of it's really overview thoughts uh, uh, from this passage. In Acts chapter 13, we see that the, the missionaries were first serving in the local church. Secondly, you see in verse 2, while they were worshiping together and fasting, which we unpacked that a little bit, they had this sense that 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 there's a that there's a need and there's a crisis that there's something that God would want them to do. It may have been a, 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 as some of them are prophets, the sense that God uh, was revealing to them the needs of other Gentiles outside of themselves, and they had stirrings. God, what would you have us do? We're aware that there's so many other towns that don't have churches like we now have, so wonderfully established here in Antioch. What, what, what should we do about it? What 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 is your will, God? We, we have been blessed in this way. Jerusalem is blessed. But there are uh, smatterings of believers here and there. There's places without believers. What are we to do? And So they come together. They pray and fast. And, and the second thing we see, not only were they serving in the local church, but they were selected by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, verse 2, set apart for me. I like that. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, For the work to which I've called them. It's interesting to note this. Who are they now going to send out as missionaries? All right, let's figure this out. Who are our least gifted? Who will we miss the least? Is that what some churches might do? I hope not. You know, I've heard of situations where where an individual is like, "Um, here is a need. I want to go. Uh, Yeah, I mean... You could serve the Lord there and it would be good, but uh, we don't want to lose you. Well, huh? who are they ended up sending? In a sense, they're most important guys. Barnabas seemed to have uh, such a sweet spirit and such a soundness. The ability to encourage and exhort. And Paul, this ability to so wonderfully articulate and express truth. The two men who were in a sense the founding elders in that church. Now are the ones who are sent out. Why is it we don't consider sending our best? Sending the ones we think are least expendable, instead of sending the ones we think we won't miss. Not that that's what it people do, but from time to time, the, those thoughts would be there. They were selected by the Holy Spirit of God. Thirdly, in verse two, he says, uh, "Set apart for me." So he's asking the church, To set them apart. So they're selected by the spirit. But they're set apart. By the church. So note this. In the spirits working. The spirit works in conjunction. With the local church. They don't set themselves aside. They are set aside. By others. At the instruction of the Holy Spirit. So I, 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 I like that. Because it, it's so different than today. It's not. Who will volunteer. It's not that in this situation. I'm not saying it's wrong always to call for volunteers. But it's it's to note this. If, if you would have said. Um, who wants to go. It may be. Barnabas and Saul would have been like. We're invested here. We've been invested here. Since the beginning of this. This body. We've trained up these men. Let's send these men. As we continue here to train up others. But God. Did it differently. They trained up men. Who then were workers and teachers. Alongside of them. And then they were moved. And those men. Led. Led. Now listen, when they, were, when they moved, they moved to serve. When they came back, you know what they did? The same thing. It's not, hey, you gave up your position to us when you left. No, they came back and they continued to serve in that church. You can see that there is just a different. It's a spirit of unity. It's a spirit of camaraderie. It's not me, me, you, you. It's us in service of the Lord, selected by God, set apart by the church. Acts chapter three, verse 13, then after fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So they're set apart by the church, they're sent by the church, correct? Even in, in Acts 14, 26, it says this, and they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God, to the work that they had fulfilled. So they were sent. But then, look what it says in verse 4. Acts 13, verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. Verse 3 says the church sent them out. Verse 4 said the Holy Spirit sent them out. Which is it? Aha! The Holy Spirit sent them out through... Working in and through the church. So it's not either or. It's both and. They were set apart by the church. Because the spirit said set them apart. They were sent by the church. They were sent by the spirit. They were selected by God. And they had been themselves serving in the church. And then lastly look what it says in verse 5. We end with this to take up again starting next week. When they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues. What did they do? They preached the word. They were sent with the word. Simple thoughts here and I'll just uh, state them in closing. We see that they were serving in the local church. That's what they were doing. We see something of the significance and value of worship and prayer and fasting. And hopefully a more balanced biblical understanding of that. Denial and devotion and, and, and and a dedication and a humbling of ourselves and a resting in God's will. They were serving the local church. They were selected by God. They were set apart by the church. They were sent by the church. They were sent by the spirit and they were sent with the word. That is how the work needs to continue to go on. And we pray that God will do that even among us, even in this place, as this is how he builds his church. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that we could spend this time in your word. And as we look at just your powerful hand in the life of the early church, Lord, I pray for each one here. Even as your word says that you have given a gift to each one, not all our prophets and teachers, but each one is given a gift. Sometimes it can be the simplicity of just listening and loving, earnestly pleading to you and praying on behalf of others. I just pray, God, that everyone who's here, that they would understand what is the service that you would have for them among your people, that they would see themselves and their service and missionary calling, and they would be active in that right now. Lord, that they would not simply await a future day of preparation, but it would be active right now. Lord, we thank you for also the remarkable way that you show that you are working uh, the power of your hand and your unfolding purposes by the influence of your spirit in and through your church. Oh, God, may you continue to be glorified in the church now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.